Welcome to the Project Zion podcast. This podcast explores the unique spiritual and theological gifts Community of Christ offers for today's world. Hello, and welcome to the Project Zion podcast. I'm your host, Carla Long, and today I'm here with a special guest talking about an organization that is and has been close to my heart for many years. Welcome, Andrea Reed, who will be speaking about Outreach International. Thank you so much for being on the show. Hello. Hi, Carla. It's so good to be with you. It is wonderful to have you. So tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do for Outreach International. Yeah. So um, I currently live in Independence, Missouri, but I actually grew up in Spokane, Washington. So I'm a bit of a Northwest girl. Grew up as a member of Community of Christ, what was the Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Had a fantastic congregation um, and community there that nurtured me as a child and into a uh, young adult and really fostered an interest in peace and justice issues, but also kind of my artistic side. So I actually went to school for architecture, worked in the architecture industry anyway, for about four years in Seattle. And um, I left that work shortly after the earthquake in Haiti in 2010 to support the work of OI and Community of Christ there in Haiti with some of the rebuilding efforts there. So for a short time, this was like 2000, late 2010 to 2012 or so, I I actually worked for both organizations, for Community of Christ and for Outreach International. They have uh, both have a shared interest and a historical relationship there in Haiti with all the schools that are supported through congregations, um, Community of Christ congregations in Haiti, and many of which were affected by the earthquake. So was very privileged to be a part of a lot of the great work that happened there and some that was quite difficult, but ultimately um, brought about, I think, some some good change and transformation of some of those spaces for children. Um, but the kind of long story uh, behind it is it really brought me to the position that I have now, which is serving as the director of field operations at Outreach. So I began working full-time with them shortly um, into 2012, and so now I am full-fledged uh, working with all of our field programs of Outreach International, so sometimes called OI or Outreach. You might hear me say that throughout, so. That is huge. That's a really big job, and ha- here's a really quick question. Do you find that being an architecture major has helped you in this job? Um, you know, I feel like early on a bit, but I will say I I don't do a lot of architecture now. So I've kind of made a full-fledged shift and really kind of have lived into being trained on the job in many respects uh, for this work. And I had incredible mentoring from the infamous Dr. Dennis Labayan, who kind of was a part of the early founding of Outreach International. And so, yeah, not Uh, much architecture. (laughs) Oh, that's too bad. But Dennis Levian, I mean, he is amazing. I've always been a major fan of his. Yep, he sure is. So 
tell us a little bit about what OIA is. Tell us about Outreach International and, and what you do and, you know, how long it's been around and all that stuff. Absolutely. So Outreach International is a, a registered 501c3 nonprofit organization that works uh, currently in 10 different countries around the world. Um, the Philippines, India, Nepal, now Cambodia, uh, Malawi, Zambia, Democratic Republic of the Congo, Nicaragua, Bolivia, and Haiti, of course. So addressing rural poverty and generational poverty. I think, I mean, poverty can be defined in a lot of different ways. There's really the common definitions that we all think of when people are suffering from the lack of basic needs and but we at Outreach actually, we also define it as a lack of um, really participation in one's own development. So when people feel that their voices are not heard, when they honestly don't have the self-esteem or the confidence to take action to improve their own lives, we also see that as, as poverty as well. So we, we use a unique approach uh, to, to international community development. It's participatory, which really means that those living in poverty are the primary actors in their own development. We at Outreach and our partners um, in the field and on the ground in our communities, those were the facilitators, really. So I think um, to get back to the history, maybe a little bit more, back in 1972, uh, Charles Neff, who was an apostle for Community of Christ, or formerly the RLDS Church, um, he established a nonprofit organization in the Philippines called Community One Resource Development Incorporated, what we now call CORD, um, which still is an active ministry of Community of Christ in the Philippines. But through through his kind of early work there, really became inspired by the methodology of helping people help their own communities. Um, which was really strongly influenced by Saul Alinsky and Paulo Freire and the the philosophies that he learned from the International Institute of Rural Reconstruction. In 73, Outreach Incorporated was formed and organized by by Charles Neff and Roy Schaefer and Bill Higdon. So that's when kind of Outreach began to kind of take shape outside of the Philippines a bit, but it wasn't until April 23rd, 1979, so we just had our 40th birthday, um, that's when Outreach International became its own registered and self-sustaining organization. So we are celebrating 40 years of human-centered community development work. Oh, that's awesome. So 40 years, that's a that's pretty big deal. What, what Did you do anything special to celebrate last month? We actually, because we were celebrating in April, it's the same uh, month and time as the Community of Christ World Conference that took place. And so we had the great opportunity to celebrate with many of the people, very generous folks that have been with us since the very beginning of Outreach International. We were able to have a, a little party, a reception to celebrate with all of them and we also have had a few other events too. Uh, it's mostly just been time to really lift up the the generous support of um, our our donors, our supporters, but then also our local facilitators. The we call them human development facilitators. Our core field staff that are the ones in the community doing 
doing our important work. And I always feel so privileged to be a part of, not only a part of Community of Christ, but a part of Outreach International and really feel like the work of outreach is kind of putting my own faith and beliefs into action. Like as, as a Christian, I feel so privileged to be able to work with these facilitators that are living side by side with the people in the community, in the communities where we really are, are there to serve. And I really do believe that, that those facilitators, our, our staff there, are the hands and feet of Jesus living with and loving and advocating for the most vulnerable. I am totally with you on that. You know, there are some people, and and it's not a bad thing to think this, I don't think, but there's two different ways to live your life. Oh, there's a lot of ways to live your life, but two that I want to talk about. One is to like find a job where you can live your purpose. And, And two is to find a job where you get paid enough so you can live your purpose outside of work hours. And I agree with you. I I love my job and I feel like my purpose, I find my purpose within my job. So I think it's really special when you can find something like that and, you know, a a third of your life or eight hours of the day or however many hours a day you work, um, you get to actually live your purpose and get paid for it. I mean, what what a joy that is. Yeah. It's the definition of happiness. I got to tell you. I, Hey, I'm with you. So um, I definitely want to talk more about the participatory human development and, and maybe you can talk to me about what that is and how you, um, how OI helps facilitate that. I also want you to tell me, you can tell me whichever order you want, what the director of field operations actually does. So choose to answer either of those questions. So I think I'll start with the process itself. It's in a lot of ways, we really struggle at outreach sometimes to be like, have our 30 second elevator speech, you know, to, to really get to the core of what outreach does and how we do it because PhD, as we call it, um, participatory human development, it's a, a nine step process that our facilitators kind of circulate through as kind of experiential learning with the community. And um, what it really is all about at the core of it is providing opportunity and inviting people in the community to be a part of groups. Um, And it starts off very informal groups and they begin to kind of discuss and identify the issues that that people in the community are starting to feel affected affected by or have been affected by for most of their lives. They then begin to prioritize those issues and slowly start to actually discuss what kind of actions they can take as a group to address and solve some of those issues. And really it's through action. I mean, what sometimes we would refer to as like trial and error. I mean, this group is going to step out in faith and, take action, maybe go to their local governments, their local municipalities. Um, We often refer to those as mobilizations, that people mobilize to um, resource institutions or their governments to try to access resources to address the issues that that they're being faced by. And then really what rounds out the our process is taking time to evaluate and reflect on those actions. And so we, we always kind of think, I mean, if, if any of us in life are kind of taking action um, or 
have a presentation or are doing our work and we have this big event that we're working on, if we don't actually take time to, act, to sit down and evaluate how that, that event or that presentation or that action that we took, how did it go? What good things happened? What less than good things happened that we really maybe should have done differently? Um, and then reflect, like, how did this experience impact me as a person? How did this experience maybe change the way that I think about my own situation? How did the experience maybe affect how I will address future experiences in my life? That's when those actions and the experiences actually become a part of who we are rather than become distant memories. And so that's when the real transformation, I believe, is happening is in those later stages of the process. And um, so those, that cycle is something that's gone through time after time in the, the lifespan of a facilitator's time in a community. And ultimately, they're spending about anywhere from, I think, the fastest that we've been able to move through um, and really develop a mature group that can sustain itself after we leave is about three years. That's the fastest. Um, but really it can sometimes take up to seven plus years to really uh, develop and um, empower those groups to feel self-sustaining. Yeah. I so, remember. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, that's, that's kind of, that's it. <laughs> well, I'm, I mean, it's a lot. I remember, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't know a lot about this, but I remember reading the book Toxic change toxic I think toxic charity yeah yeah toxic charity yeah that's it toxic charity and and it and that's exactly what I advocated for was people who who had the means and who had the the know-how move into places that had systemic poverty and help to change it in that way and that was the only way it was going to ever do anything is that Mm -hmm. is that what you've read too in toxic charity is that one of your books that you use sometimes yeah, actually, it's it's one of the numerous kind of resources that we we list on our website as kind of learning a little bit more about what we try to do anyway in our work. You know, Poverty Inc. is also another, it, I think it's actually on Netflix. It's a great uh, film that kind of encapsulates what what we really need to be doing to address systemic poverty. And it does come down to... I always struggle with saying like we em- we empower people to address their issues of poverty because it's really not about us. It's it's really about tapping into the power that's already in people. It's inviting them to actually recognize the power that they have to to address the issues in their life and be a part of their own development. And often when we just come in uh, with with projects alone. Um, they're not really given that that opportunity to participate um, in the same way. And it's not to say that the projects are not important because they really are. They're a part of the process itself. If you're not addressing issues, then what are, what are we actually doing to make their lives better aside from maybe giving them opportunity to be a part of things? They really need to be addressing issues as well. So the projects are still extremely important. It's just um, the approach is important too. Absolutely. Like, okay, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember this from when I did World Service Corps in the Philippines in like 2001, somebody from Outreach International, I don't even remember who came to speak to us. Yeah. I mean, we're almost 20, this is almost 20 years ago. So uh, he said, he told this story about 
And again, you can correct me if I mess this up, but he said that this is an example of participatory human development. He, mm-hmm. They went into a very poor village. I don't even remember where, but this is a place with like no clean water. People were starving. It was a really bad situation. And they went in and said, you know, what needs to be done here? Like, what do you think needs to be done? And they're like, we have so many dogs. We think we need to spay and neuter all the dogs. Yeah. And, yeah, and the guy, the um, OI worker was like, okay, well, what do we need to do to make sure we get rid of these dogs or help these dogs? So, you know, like they, they wrote letters, they got a grant, they spayed and neutered all the dogs. And I mean, again, these people did not have clean water. And then after that, they're like, oh, well, what should we do next? They're like, you know what? We think that we should work on the water problem. Well, that's a great idea. <laughs> so, you know, like they had so much confidence after like getting the the dogs taken care of that they actually, and I just love that story. I think it's a really important story to, that helps, you know, people be like, Hey, you know what? We could actually do something, you know, we're, we don't have to stay in this place. So I don't know if that's a good example or a bad example, but I still remember it from 20 years ago. Yeah, no, it's a perfect example. In fact, it's one of the things that I absolutely love about what we do. It's not, we, I like to say that we are not experts when it comes to the projects because of exactly what you just said. Like we, in our communities, we work toward everything from spaying and neutering dogs and uh, smokeless stoves, composting latrines, rice loans, like so many different types of projects that really are kind of like, we're, we're jumping in. We're going to try and see, make sure that this, hopefully it works. And next time, if it doesn't work, then next time it'll get better. But what, but what we really are experts in is the process and how to really um, empower people and sustain the work that they're going to be doing long-term. Yeah. Which, which is so, so important. So important. Um, I don't know what went on to happen to that village, but I, I know that they, were successful in getting clean water. And, you know, so that's a huge step in the right direction. Yeah. Well, I'm so, I'm so grateful that, um, that we have people like you working at OI. This is really exciting. So again, you were going to tell me what the director of field operations actually does. Yeah. Um, So director of field operations is really, um, I help oversee all of the field programs and field work uh, of Outreach International. Very, very privileged to do so. And I, I do that with a great team of, um, of other great women, actually, at our headquarters office um, that are working daily and interacting with our um, field teams. And really, um, on a daily basis, we'll come into various challenges in the field work. It may be more operational. Uh, it might be finance related. It may be um, with the with the process itself. And so we kind of are, are there to support them and put them in contact with the people that they need to access what they need to get the job done. So every day is a little bit different whether it's uh, addressing a new project proposal or meeting to strategize about how we at Outreach can be more uh, a part of the international development uh, kind of community. Um, We are growing. The last few years, we've been growing significantly. So we're starting to to strategize more about how we can influence other organizations and work to partner more with, um, with the big name organizations out there that are doing 
equally wonderful work, but how we can help one another to address this global challenge. So, so a lot of strategic discussions and, and planning and things like that, but Yes, I remember seeing Outreach International's logo on, you know, how you kind of flip through coupons sometimes when it comes into your uh, mailbox. I was flipping through and, and Dial Soap was having like oh, yeah. a hand washing challenge. And I happened to glance down and it was Outreach International that had partnered with Dial Soap. I was yeah. blown away. I think I took a picture of it and put it on Facebook because I was so very impressed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we, um, it was such a great uh, little opportunity there to partner with them and got a lot of recognition and, and visibility through that. It was, it was, it was fabulous. That was very cool. So I, I kind of want to get into a little bit more of like uh, the traveling that you've done and like some stories about Outreach International besides the neutering dog story I already told, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, just, it's not often when I get to say the word neuter on a podcast. So I appreciate being able to say it four times now. Um, so where have you gone and, and tell us, can you tell some cool stories about um, what you've seen and what you've done and what you've heard and all that good stuff? Absolutely. So I actually, in my most recent trip, I just got back in February actually was to the Philippines. So where everything with OI began, um, I've been many times now, but uh, it's always so enlightening and kind of energizing to get back to the Philippines with our team there because they're so integral to who we are and really help shape and form a lot of our other field staff actually um, working around the world. They are instrumental in um, supporting other teams. But um, during my most recent visit, it was fun to actually visit some of our communities where we really aren't working much anymore. So I, I spent some time in one community. We, we call those phase-out communities or where they're really kind of self-sufficient. The group in, in this community of San Bonifacio, we worked there, I believe, during the early 2000s. Uh, we're there for about four, four or five years. And they're still working to steadily address issues related to food security um, during their lean months of the year when income is really less consistent and they've accessed improved sanitary latrines since we left as well. So got to visit some of the, the great toilets that they had there. But more importantly, it's just, it's so incredible to, to meet. And it's honestly, it's mostly women that are sustaining the, the groups in these, in these communities. So many of which actually have become more, involved in the larger communities surrounding their their villages so one um, woman in particular that I met actually became uh, an elected official in in her local municipality and so it's it's kind of amazing to watch how these individuals will come and begin getting involved with our groups and kind of slowly begin to realize the capacity and the leadership capabilities that they have and start to tap in and cultivate those opportunities and then become um, the front runner leaders for their larger community. And they become really enabling listening leaders um, just naturally having gone through the process that, that we have. So it was it was cool to meet those those women in San Bonifacio, but I actually did want to tell you more uh, about in a community called uh, Villa Corazon in 
northern uh, Luzon in the Philippines. It's very similar to San Bonifacio in that it's a phase-out community, but there's two pretty incredible men, um, Marvin and Larry. So both leaders of the association that is now registered in Via Corazon as a result of the work of our Outreach Philippines team there. And um, they had worked for years as their own group. They have addressed issues of um, poor irrigation systems. They developed a, a, a daycare center, actually, for a lot of the children in the area when when parents need to go off and work in the fields. They have a place where they can leave the kids. They have a new clean water facility, actually, um, with a large gravity-fed tank that feeds and access points throughout that feeds the community. Um, Numerous income-generating opportunities and projects that they've kind of cultivated over the years. What's really cool is Marvin and Larry have become kind of integral and known in the area and a neighboring community called Via TJ about like five years ago or so they, they started to actually come and visit Via Corazon and they would go to talk to Larry and to Marvin and they would kind of say, well, you guys have all these great things going on here. How, how can we get that? Like, how can we, get some of these same great things in via TJ. And so Marvin and Larry kind of took it upon themselves to literally begin to facilitate a group in via TJ. So they, they became facilitators, even though they didn't really go through the training that we provide for our outreach Philippines teams or our other teams working around the world they had just gone through their own experience of developing their group in Via Corazon. And from what they learned through that experience in those many years, um, they were able to actually facilitate uh, this group in Via TJ that is now its own registered organization that they're working to do these incredible things in Via TJ, including improving a 12-kilometer road for farmers to be able to get to and from the markets to sell their goods. They've accessed seeds and agricultural inputs to improve the outputs of their their farms, their uh, their land. So with all of the great work in Via TJ um, and in Via Corazon, it's, it's pretty, it's been remarkable to actually spend time with Marvin and Larry and hear about the stories of their work and the things that they've learned and the victories that they've been able to celebrate um, both for their own community, but then also for now the, the new friends in the neighboring community of Via TJ that they have um, been able to be a part of. It's just um, an incredible thing to recognize that the, the work that's being done can actually replicate and, and spread um, in the way that we, we could always, we always dreamed of in many respects. We never would have, ex- would have thought that it could be this, this incredible and grow so, so beautifully. So anyway. Because this is exactly what you want to happen, right? This is exactly what you want. Exactly. I mean, this is it. That's it. That's a perfect example of what we're hoping will happen or you are, or you are hoping will happen. 
Absolutely. Yep. Yep. So those are awesome stories. And of course, I love that you're talking about the Philippines. I I only lived in the Philippines for six months, but I I have a deep and abiding love for the Philippines and um, for the people there, the people of the Philippines. And because I work with Filipinos in Madrid and Spain too, they're, they're some of the most hospitable people on the planet. I think they're just so kind and loving and wonderful. So I just, I love that you love going there too. Oh, absolutely. Yep. And the food, mm, the pansit and the Shanghai rolls. Oh, I miss it. And the adobo, oh. chick chicken adobo. Oh, it's my favorite. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. It's good stuff. So um, any other places that you want to talk about or uh, some of your, maybe if another cool place that you visited, how's Cambodia? Have you been to Cambodia yet? So that's actually exactly what I was going to share. I, um, so on this last trip to the Philippines, I also spent some time in Cambodia and it was, so it was back in January, 2018 that our, our first Cambodia field program officially launched. Um, we're working with two partners there. And so like over the last few years, I've spent considerable time in Cambodia kind of working to meet other organizations and we kind of, we kind of joke about it being like almost like a, um, recording each other. It's very much like dating. You have to really get to know this other organization and appreciate what they do, learn about them, where they come from, what kind of guides them in, in life and in their work. And the same goes for us. We share the same about our ourselves And then um, if we want to meet again, we do, and we continue to date. And eventually we actually decide, oh, well, I think we might want to actually get married here and more officially become partners. And so we we actually were very fortunate to find two organizations to be able to do that with in Cambodia. And they got started, like I said, in January of last year. And so this was the first time I've been back since they really have gotten things off the ground. I was there a lot in the early time before then, but um, this was the first to really see some incredible um, changes in such a short time. Um, one of our partners is an organization called Hiredo. We have three HDFs working with their team, um, one of which I have grown to appreciate greatly. His name is Sopa. and He's a community worker who has really done this kind of work, I would say, for um, decades, but he has used a little different approach. So he worked for the government and he's worked for other organizations before Hiredo that really follow more of a traditional community development approach. It's really about project delivery. And so going through the training of PhD, it's been remarkable to hear his own reflections about how taking more of a participatory approach and working side by side with the people um, and providing them the opportunity to actually be the ones to bring projects to themselves has just been remarkable because he himself has talked about his own transformation and just thinking differently about how we approach these issues of poverty in a much more sustainable way. Um, so it was great to spend some more time with Sopa and his team and see some of the great things that have been happening there. But on, on a more personal note, I mean, Cambodia is just such an incredible place. The, 
the culture, the people, the food, the, I mean, it's all so vibrant and rich. And um, honestly, it's, it's been kind of sobering to, to realize and learn how far this, this country and the people that live there have come in such a short time from the, the very dark recent past that they have lived through. Um, so the genocide that, um, that affected the entire nation really is still present. I mean, the, the hurt and the loss that was experienced during those years is still very present. Um, but it's, it's just remarkable, the hospitality, the warmth, the kindness that comes through, which you wouldn't expect, honestly, extended towards strangers when you recognize how, what they went through so, so recently. So it's, it's been quite a gift to be able to spend time in such a beautiful place with so much to learn, learn from. So that sounds incredible. And, and what an opportunity for, for them and for you. Yeah. How very cool. Yeah. Well, it just sounds you know, we talked a little bit about this at the beginning, but it kind of sounds a little bit like a dream job. I know it's difficult. And I know that you're probably, your heart is probably torn up on a daily basis. But I do want to ask, um, what, are, what are some of the highlights of what you do? And what are some of the challenges of what you do? So the highlights are definitely those moments like spending with Sopa and, um, and Marvin and Larry. But I, I will say, too, even getting the opportunity to work with some of my colleagues at our headquarters office, it's, it's really a blessing to be in a work environment where everyone is motivated by making the world a better place and being a part of discussions that, that are really about what, what can we be doing to make us better, too. Like, it's not only about uh, increasing uh, giving, and it's not only about uh, supporting our field staff with their HR needs, but it's really more about what what can we be doing better to ensure that we're reaching more people and providing them more opportunities to to live their full um, full lives. The challenges really are more. I mean, in any work environment, there are going to be challenges, obviously, but um, the ones that we face are mo- more about the the things that just naturally happen. I mean, uh, when I was mentioning HR concerns before, I mean, challenges um, with, uh, with staff, sometimes we have to kind of work to support our, our local leaders and our partners, um, our partner organizations anyway, to ensure that staff are are trained well and it can sometimes be challenging to recognize when maybe there are individuals that just can't quite uh, deliver in the same way as other facilitators. Um, we've, we've learned that it takes a very, very special individual with certain attitudes and skill sets to be able to be a human development facilitator someone who's willing to kind of set aside their own, their own agenda, their own intent, their own often even just ego, just setting aside all of that and being able to kind of step into the unknown and introduce themselves to strangers in a community and become 
friends and sometimes even chosen family with, with people um, over years of work. And it takes a very special individual to be able to do that. So sometimes the challenge is just finding those, those folks um, to be able to do that. I can imagine it would be, it would be so difficult. What would you say? Three years was the fastest and up to seven years. I mean, it would take a very selfless individual to do that. Yeah. So thanks for saying that. I I know that it can't always be easy, but it just sounds like you're doing such incredible work and I'm so grateful that you are. So are there any changes coming up for outreach in the future? Anything that you know of? Well, so um, in the last five years, we've grown pretty significantly. So we, um, we are now working in 130% more communities than we were just five years ago. That's incredible. Well yeah, so nearly tripled in scope. Um, so at least in, on the more immediate horizon, we are, um, we're really working to strengthen and maintain that scope. So because we grew so quickly, um, we really want to spend some time kind of caring for and sustaining our teams, um, ensuring that the work that we've scaled up can can actually sustain itself. I mean, we're really working hard to make sure that that's that all that work remains strong and consistent um, as it has in the past. But that said, we still, um, and that's all really in many ways to prepare for future growth. We we have some plans for the next three years. We'd like to to continue to grow um, and have some goals of increasing by another thirty uh, percent some of the communities where we're working. So. Yeah, that's kind of our our longer term focus for now. Um, and like I said before, we're st- we're also trying to partner more and more with other organizations and finding ways of um, advocating more for the work that we're doing and and stepping out in faith, even as as consultants maybe to support um, with some of the things that we specialize in with our process and helping other organizations become stronger too. So how incredible. That's wonderful. Um, my, one of my last questions is, and I think this is an important one is how does outreach international fund all of these incredible projects that are happening all over the world? Yeah. So we are incredibly fortunate. So the financial support to OI and our work comes from generous individuals, groups, congregations that believe in the work that we do. There are other uh, organizations out there that work hard to get um, grants and access resources through governments and things like that. We um, are fortunate enough that we, we don't yet have to try, try to get that because we have such a vast and generous base of donors that have been with us for so long. Um, and it's not to say that we're, we're, we're not looking for other opportunities out there. We absolutely are. But the bulk of our, our support comes from um, individuals. And a majority of charities, too, um, I've, I've learned over the last few years, have a, a difficult time uh, retaining and sustaining donors. So the average organization has a donor retention of 46%. Um, but our incredible supporters at OI 
96% of them are giving consistently and regularly. Wow. Um, I know, right? So we, we feel incredibly grateful um, for that because, too, like I was mentioning before, the other organizations that go after more kind of government grants and things like that, there are tons of strings attached to that kind of money. And they expect their own kind of agendas to be met, which kind of begins to limit what we can do with PhD and with the communities themselves kind of leading where they go with the projects that they that they work on. Um, and so our, our generous donors that give and believe in what we do um, are providing that opportunity for the people in the communities themselves to be a part of, to be a part of it. So. Well, that's incredible. And I'm not, I'm not ashamed to say I have been a supporter of Outreach International for a long time and I get these cool pins in the mail that shows how much money I give it. And I'm very proud of it. I have to say. Well, well, I, I'm, I'm so thankful, Carla, that you have been such a generous supporter. Well, I'm glad to be part of the 96%. And I love (laughs) knowing that my, my money is going to places that are helping people, um, hopefully pull themselves out of poverty, you know, teaching them how to fish. That's, that's fantastic. So, well, thank you so much for being on this podcast and for letting us know all the cool things that Outreach International does. So how do people learn more about Outreach International on their own? Yeah, of course you have a website. How do we find it? Yeah, so our, our website is um, www.outreach-international.org. Um, you can find out a ton more about us there. You can also find us, um, some supporters, when they're looking for organizations to, to give to, like to check out Charity Navigator. Um, we currently are ranked number 18 out of 393 international development organizations. And there's a lot of information there, too, about how, how we manage our organization. And it's, uh, there's a lot of scoring related to transparency and financial um, kind of approaches and things. So it's important to kind of do homework about how we're doing our work from more external evaluators. So if you have any interest in checking us out there too, um, it's Charity Navigator. What a fantastic tip. And it's so true because sometimes you give your money to some somewhere and you just don't really know what your money's going to. But on knowing this helps me feel a lot more confident in you. Not that I wasn't confident in OI before. <laughs> well, sure. thank you again so much for for being part of the podcast and for letting us know all the incredible things that Outreach International does. You're wonderful. And I appreciate you so much. Thank you so much, Carla. I really appreciate the opportunity and all the best to, to you, your family and all of your fabulous listeners. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Project Zion podcast. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast streaming service you use, and while you are there, give us a five-star rating. Project Zion Podcast is sponsored by Latter-day Seeker Ministries of Community of Christ. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are of those speaking and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Latter-day Seeker Ministries or Community of Christ. The music has been graciously provided by Dave Hines.